Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Uncaptive Agent, the future of insurance. This afternoon, I'm delighted to have as my guest, Tyler Asher. Tyler is the president of Independent Agency Distribution for Liberty Mutual and Safeco Insurance. And uh, Tyler, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, good day. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Excited to be with you today. So we're going to talk a little bit about what um, your view of the future of insurance distribution is over the next three to five years. And, you know, one of the things, uh, Todd, I've had the opportunity to hear you speak a number of times, and you always talk about Safeco Insurance and Liberty Mutual in a way that I think is interesting. You always say uh, that you're not only committed to independent insurance agents, which we really appreciate, um, but also that you're committed to being deeply digital. And so, you know, it seems to me that that's a great place to start our conversation about the future. Um, so first of all, I know that you have a personal uh, confidence in a strong environment future for independent agents, but I, but I also sense that you believe that, a, that that future is also really digital. Would you mind sharing with us, not just the carrier perspective about you know, how you want to be digital, but what you think agencies look like as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, trying to do our core believe that independent agents will continue to win in the market. Um, and we look at, you know, the agency channel relative to any other channel and what sets us apart, what sets agents apart in terms of a competitive advantage is our ability to provide the combination of ease of doing business, choice in terms of breadth of offering and custom tailored advice. That's been a winning formula for the channel for many years, and it really is the foundation of the success that we've had. And as we have an eye towards the future, it's looking at that specific competitive advantage, ease, choice, and advice, and thinking through how do you evolve that over time to maintain that advantage. And that's where kind of our focus on digital enablement, deeply digital, really comes into play because we think over time what it means to provide each of those elements Ease of doing business isn't just shopping on behalf of customers. It's how do you make yourself available anytime, anywhere with deeply personalized experiences that are available to the customer when they want. Choice isn't just choosing between carriers. It's really is customizing a tailored you know, risk solution to meet their needs. Um, and advice has, has never been you know, more important than it is now in terms of a changing landscape. So what's important for us is how do we continue uh, to really set ourselves up for that success and evolve that value proposition. Digital is a huge aspect of that. Um, and we've, you know, we've been on a journey with digital for a while and it's really been, how do we collectively, not just on the carrier side, but an agency side, really rise to meet customers kind of soaring expectations uh, in regards to digital. Uh, and we've made a lot of progress over the past few years on ramping up adoption, making investments. And I'll tell you this, this COVID period has really put that on overdrive in terms of customer expectations shifting uh, and the need for both carriers and agents alike to really respond you know, with services and solutions that are, that are tailored to customers uh, that make it incredibly easy to partner with us. Uh, and we see that trend really amplifying and accelerating over the next three or five years. You know, I have a, a business coach who was talking about COVID and the impact on, on his clients, business generally speaking. And his comment was that he felt like COVID had really accelerated um, both progress and, and also opportunity about five years into the future. In other words, some people are talking about COVID as uh, something that put what was going on on steroids. His perspective is it just totally shifted. We're five years into the future compared to where we were at the beginning of the year. How do, how do you see that? 
Well, Tony, that's exactly right. And actually, um, I'm gonna, I forget the source. I'm going to find it for you. But we were just looking at this. So e-commerce sales as a barometer, and this is insurance. This is all retail, right? E-commerce sales went from about 5% up to 15% over the last decade. So 10 years to go up 10 percentage points. The first eight weeks of the lockdown, so really March, April, we went up another 10 points. Wow. So in eight weeks, two months, uh, the rate of adoption of e-commerce really um, matched the progress made over the last decade. Um, and so certainly in this environment, you know, when everyone's locked at home, you're trying to get things done, it's the only way to work. But we do think that has some, you know, long-term kind of uh, persistence where that really has changed, you know, people's mindset and, and, and really has made them more willing to accept digital. Will it stay at this level? You know, I think many of us, myself included, are eager to kind of get back out into the world in some level of normalcy. But I also think, you know, for those that maybe hadn't thought about doing transactions, whether it's sales or service digitally, we really do think that their mindsets have probably permanently been altered by the experience they've had during this period. Well, so here we are at the fourth quarter, getting towards the end of 2020. And so a five-year look into the future takes us to the end of 2025. So if, we're, if we were having this conversation five years from now, what has, to ha- what has to change between now and then for an independent insurance agency to continue the success just at the same level they're at today then? What has to change between now and then for them to be uh, successful at that point in the future, in your opinion? Yeah, we, you know, we really think that successful, you know, agents really have all different types of operating models and you can kind of try to distill down, like, what are the key factors that we think will drive a successful agency in the future? And we've done a lot of work on, you know, you'll see a resource site from us called agentforthefuture.com to really study this. But we think, you know, culture is going to be a, a huge piece of it. You know, can agents really set the tone where they're attracting, um, you know, new talent in, uh, talent with a fresh perspective from different backgrounds, and really drive high engagement? So culture, absolutely critical. The ability for the agency to really challenge themselves to continue to evolve and adapt. Um, Digital is a huge piece there. Um, So just a willingness to reinvent yourself uh, and continue to rise to customer expectations or changes in the market. And then finally, for us, just a willingness to continue to invest uh, in your agency, uh, in your ability to respond. And that could be technology. That could be bringing in additional producers uh, if that's the primary lever to drive growth. So we think the combination of, of, of culture, uh, evolution, uh, and continuing to invest, uh, whether that's in digital or people, is going to be absolutely uh, critical as we move forward. You know, I'm so glad you, you mentioned culture. It's something that, um, for, for some reason, it's like having a sore toe. I've been tripping over it, contis- uh, you know, over and over and over again the last two or three weeks. Um, my own personal view is that culture is the foundation of everything. And when you get culture right, you can't help but succeed. Um, curious, from your perspective, um, you lead a very large organization working with relatively small organizations. What are the cultural, uh, you know, high points or, or bullet points or uh, key things that you would look at to say, gosh, this is what we think effective, efficient, successful cultures for insurance distribution look like? Yeah, well, maybe I'll offer kind of our perspective as a carrier in terms of how we think about our own business and then okay. maybe offer some thoughts, too, on what we see for agents. So, so for our part, you know, 
our culture is really who we want to be in the market. Um, and for us, and you've heard us say it a lot, you know, we, we intend to be champions for independent agents. You know, back to that belief that independent agents are going to win. Um, we believe that there's no better way to purchase insurance than through a trusted advisor. And so that really drives everything we do. So for our team, uh, from the moment they come in, um, we are very focused on getting professionals that are rallied around that cause, helping each of our agency partners grow and win in their business, realizing that, you know, your success drives our success. It's really the only way that we win. Uh, and so for us, it's how do we continue to reinforce that? And it's important for us from a messaging standpoint and a communication standpoint to get that through. Through. Uh, and then for us, it's really about walking the walk and making sure that we're demonstrating that each and every day, that the decisions we make clearly are towards that kind of focus of, of putting our agency partners first, that we continue and consistently do the right thing. We do it with integrity, that we make things easy, that we make things better for agents each and every day. And so it's a lot about setting the tone early continuing to reinforce it through all of our messaging, uh, and then really just demonstrating that, again, we were living up to these ideals and, and we have proof points, not just talking points. And that's, that's pretty important. Um, I think as we, you know, we get out and talk to agents, again, of all different sizes, um, you know, culture is important. And we, and you survey agents, you know, the number one issue, the number one need is how do we get talent? Um, how do we bring new talent into the industry, new talent into to my agency? Um, and culture is a huge piece of that. And a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll hear from agents that, hey, I, I, you know, I had a really bad experience hiring a millennial. Um, you know, I hired him, but, you know, six months in, it just really wasn't working out. And it's because of this, you know, this difference in opinion and thought and et cetera. And, you know, I would, you know, encourage all agents to really examine that because I think that the fact that we can bring millennials and new talent into the industry is very encouraging. The question is, why aren't we keeping them? Or why isn't an agency who's able to bring them in keep them past that six month, one year mark? And I do think culture is a huge piece of that. I mean, as you step back, Tony, we're in a business that truly is a noble profession. Uh, how do we help you know people in their greatest time of need? Uh, it's a profession that gives many a profound sense of meaning, belonging, uh, and really a higher kind of cause in terms of what we do every day. That's what drives my passion. And if you talk to like most people coming into an industry, if you lay that out, this is what you're getting into. Um, it's a very attractive profession. So the, the gap is, is, is culture. Our agents, you know, opening their doors to a broader set of talent and perspectives, are they driving home the values? Are they emphasizing the importance of what they do in their communities for their customers? And do they have a, a growth mindset, willing to try new things, willing to continue to adapt and take on new ideas? There's no point in bringing new people in if you're not willing to listen to kind of the outside perspectives. And so uh, we see a lot of those being really critical to driving a culture that will really um, stand the test of time and continue to evolve and adapt on its own. You know, I'm just listening to you talk. I, I, I can't help be, uh, but be struck by the fact that over half of the workforce and over half of the business ownership now in the United States are is millennial. And so it seems to me 
that yeah. if you're an insurance agency and you haven't figured this out yet, you don't have much of a future <laughs> because, uh, I mean, you know, the rest of the people are, are, are dying and marching off the stage. But, you know, back to culture just for a second, you know, my, my observation is working with lots of different uh, agencies and uh, is that most of the time culture is uh, accidental and organic. And what I mean by that is it's, um, you know, it's just a collection of the people that you brought in and it's a muddy mess because it's not intentional. Uh, and to your point about, you know, nobility and the work that we do and all those other things, which are, are true, uh, it seems to me that what agents have to do if culture is foundational is they have to make it intentional. They have to start with it, be really clear about what the values that they have are. You enumerated right off the top of your head your values uh, at Safeco and Liberty. And I know from talking to you earlier, you know, in, in over a long period of time, that you hire people, batteries included, based on they're already having that same set of values, uh, which means that your culture gets reinforced every time you hire somebody instead of muddy and watered down. Um, so anyway, I'm delighted to hear you know that you think the culture is the, the foundation because I agree with you. So if an agency of the future has gotten a really strong culture, uh, they've clearly enumerated their values, they hire and promote and reward based on those values, uh, and they found a way to bring in uh, talent based on that, and that talent's going to be younger talent, millennial and actual Generation X. Um, then the two other things that you said were important, I'd like to just explore for a minute. One is investment, and the other one is, uh, you know, and maybe even more important, or maybe it's not more important, I'd like to know what you think, is the adaption, you know, constant yeah. change, being willing to adapt to the new environment. And, you know, surveys show that the average independent insurance agency owner looks a bit like me. He's, uh, you know, late 50s, early 60s. Um, and that's a, uh, and again, a largely uh, male, uh, largely white, uh, you know, so increasingly not reflective of society at, at large, but also in an age and mindset uh, of, you know, not wanting to change, not wanting to adapt. So, um, and also maybe more interested in the end than the beginning. So do you see a, a, a wholesale change in agency leadership coming over the next five years? How, how does how does that strike you? Yeah, I mean, the numbers are actually overwhelming when you see them in terms of the percent of the channel that's nearing retirement age, if you will, over the next you know five to 10 years. So there's a staggering amount of um, talent that's going to leave the channel. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to really focus on bringing in new talent. And you mentioned millennials. It's, it, we talk about them still, but honestly, they're, they're 40, I think, this year, um, the oldest set. So not so young anymore, but just bringing in new talent is, is critically important because with that, you bring in fresh perspectives, new ways to think about the industry, new ways to think about and understand what do customers uh, really need in our communities. Um, diversity is a huge part of that too, from the standpoint of, you know, local agents generally, you know, in terms of a retail location are servicing in a geography that surrounds their agency. Um, and, you know, that, that isn't necessarily getting larger unless you open up additional retail locations. And so what's critical is 
can we take advantage of the entire community in which we work and serve? Um, and oftentimes, you know, not having teams that fully represent um, the community is a, is a disadvantage. So it's, it's a marketing uh, revenue opportunity that honestly we're missing out on across the country. But I do see as we continue to hire you bring in new perspectives. I think we're positioning ourselves well uh, for what will be a gradual kind of evolution. And I think this is kind of a natural state. You know, you've, you've got a large portion of the industry that's spent a career building what really is a tremendously strong channel. Um, and I think that's great. And I think we're to the point where many of those are now looking at, you know, retirement and what's next. And the key is, are we perpetuating that in a way uh, where we've got kind of the next set of talent ready to take it over and, and take it to the next level? And all of those things are intertwined, right? So culture, the ability to adapt, the ability to invest, um, they're all linked um, in, a, in a very kind of important way where, you know, you, you need to have a mindset of willing to evolve, but then you actually need to be able to put your money where your mouth is and, and take some risk with investment. Um, and again, just evolution and adaptability it can be a key part of an organization's culture. So they're all very tightly uh, interwoven. But my view is, um, you know, I'm incredibly encouraged uh, by, uh, we've seen agents across the country really hiring a lot over the last few years. Hiring's been up. Um, we think that's great. We think the increase in terms of, of new talent from outside the industry is, is very encouraging. A lot of the trends we've seen in, in some of the captive channels where you know, pretty large portions of the workforce shifting to independent agency is another strong you know, talent infusion for us. Uh, so we're pretty optimistic about those trends. I would say the one area that we're really trying to step up um, you know, in, in our conversations is the ability to attract and retain, you know, diverse talent, because we do think that's a huge area of focus. It is for us as a company, but it's also an area of focus that we believe the channel needs. You know, the majority of the IA channel is female. Uh, but if you look at, you know, what's the female representation and ownership, um, it's, it's disproportionately to use what you said, uh, very male dominated. And so that's a dynamic where we want to make sure that, you know, all of our agents, you know, are, are thinking through that and how do we build uh, teams and how do we promote teams over time? Um, and we think that's an opportunity. And then, and certainly people of color are very underrepresented uh, in the channel. We think that's a huge area of opportunity as well. So, you know, I, I kind of just wrap that all and say, there's a lot of work to do, um, but I'd, I'd, I'd leave the kind of listeners and viewers here with a, with a little bit of tone of optimism. You know, we see a lot of encouraging signs and we think the talent's out there. Uh, we think the work that we do every day in this industry is, is truly special. Uh, we just got to do a little bit of our job uh, marketing ourselves and, and bringing the talent in. Well, this has always been a, a, an industry, that the, the agency industry, that doesn't require a lot of capital, say, compared to other businesses. Um, but I do sense that that's changing. Certainly, the the need to invest in technology to not only uh, grow, but just to stay even, um, is a challenge that uh, a lot of agency owners really have never had to grapple with. Um, but, I, but in your point, one of the four things that you mentioned that you feel like the agency of the future has really got to do is invest. So, um, just curious, in terms of that investment, is it principally in the hiring and training and development of producers? Is it more buying the hardware and then the soft, the soft technologies uh, to, to serve customers 24-7? Where do agents need to think about uh, 
needing to make investments? And then how would you prioritize them? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I would put talent probably number one. Um, and again, that's from the standpoint that we believe, you know, agents have a unique value proposition that most other channels can't offer. We believe there's plenty of demand out there. Um, and so the challenge really is bringing customers in and having them understand the value that an agent provides. Um, and so the ability to hire new producers, critically important. Uh, the ability for an agency to invest and hire a dedicated marketer for the agency, uh, hugely uh, important as well. And so we think uh, talent really critical. Um, the ability to shift from purely a service mindset to a sales mindset um, is important as well. And that's probably a little bit different between personal and commercial lines, but in personal lines, for sure. Um, there was a time when agents thought every single interaction with a client was an opportunity to build long-term loyalty. Um, and that simply isn't the case anymore. I mean, a lot of transactions are so routine um, that you either want them to do them themselves from a digital perspective or, you know, carriers like us have service center options to take that weight off of agencies' plate. So uh, we think the ability to hire talent, the ability to really dedicate enough energy and effort towards sales is critical. And the third piece that I would throw in there is the ability to look at new technology. Um, whether that's really investing uh, in a in a great agency management system, um, a you know potentially like a, a CRM, a customer relationship management to keep track of marketing efforts, uh, ongoing customer communications, uh, the ability to make sure that your teams are fully enabled to be efficient. Um, whether that's you know comparative rating on on the personal line side, that's certainly starting to pick up in the small commercial space as well. Um, that's kind of, for me, the, the third leg of the stool. And sometimes it's not even like investing in a whole new set of tools. It's just investing the time to get the value from the tools that you're already paying for. Um, mm -hmm. there, are, there are a lot of agents who spend a lot of money on agency management systems, yet are using probably 10% of the data that they have in those systems to optimize uh, their business. Um, that alone, I mean, and, and not every agency is in a position to go hire an analyst or, or a finance person to really crunch the numbers. Um, but there's some there's some small things that agents of any size can do to really make sure they're taking advantage and looking at their customers holistically and taking advantage of the technology dollars they are spending. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of conversations about uh, about data and about data manipulation, and use of data and all this kind of stuff. And yet, uh, the average uh, insurance agency has uh, probably has really bad data because they haven't gathered it very well. They haven't managed that process. And so they've got to make that change, if nothing else. And when you ask uh, people that you know, know about agency management systems, if agents are using the capability, they just laugh. So I, I would agree with you that that's a great starting point that doesn't cost any more money. It just takes a little bit more effort and a little bit more management attention. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's going to be, that's like table stakes. If you're not maxing out your agency management system and, and you don't have an effective customer relationship management program of some kind, you're probably not in business in five years. I mean, you may disagree with me, but I, I think those are uh, table stakes for the future. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So um, one of the things that's really fascinating, and, and I know that, you know, um, Safeco, for example, has always from the carrier side, been a company, you know, for, for decades that people looked at in terms of embracing of technology in the future. And so I, I know there's just a, it's baked into the DNA of the organization. So, uh, you know, 
you know a lot about this. Uh, I think probably more so than, than many other carriers, in fact. Um, and so it's interesting to me looking at what technology is going to be able to do in just five years. For example, uh, it, for most agents, I think artificial intelligence is a term that they don't really understand. And yet carriers are already massively using this capability to make life easier for agents. So, uh, you, you know, you're, you're underwriting and pricing risk in the background as agents are, are putting the information into your system. I mean, it's happening in real time. Agents are going to have that capability um, in, in their operations, I think, within the next five years. And to me, what that means is that all the drudgery goes away. Yeah. All of the time, effort, and expense of entering data goes away because your AI does it for you. The effort to market uh, and select among a variety of carriers the best carrier based on the needs of the client, that all goes away from a time perspective. And even the process of preparing uh, proposals and other things goes away because it's all done for you in the background. So as an agent, uh, you have all this time on your hands. I mean, for me, uh, COVID gave me 130 days back this year that I wasn't traveling. And so what am I going to do with myself? Well, I think I'll start a podcast. You know, I mean, all of a sudden you, you have tons of time, right? So what are you going to do with it? And, and I think for agents, the opportunity is to actually just have a whole lot more serious, in-depth, real conversations with people and understanding their hopes, dreams, fears, aspirations, and how does risk transfer and insurance relate to all that stuff. So to me, I, I think the nature of the work that agents are going to be doing in five years is going to be really different. Um, I mean, what do you think about all that? I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's like reactive uh, service and reactive, you know, how do you build loyalty? And then there's the piece of, can you really get out in front with the customers that drive, you know, the 80, 20 year old, they're driving 20, per, you know, it's 20% of customers driving 80% of, of your, you know, agency's volume and revenue. Are you spending time with them or are you spending time with whoever calls, you know, next on the phone? And so um, there's a huge opportunity as, as these technologies are able to free agents up to really refocus on which are the customers that really are going to drive value for you over time. How do you, you now have more time to get out for prospecting? So again, that takes the need off of hiring additional producers because you become that much more, you know, efficient and effective. And, and I couldn't agree more. I think all of these tools, they, they're not anything to be scared of, from my opinion. They're really, how do you enable, um, you know, our great uh, industry to do its work more efficiently? And that enables us to honestly serve more people, uh, to take the good that we do in our, in our channel and extend it and bring more people into it. Um, and AI is a great example. It's, it's data and analytics. It's not replacing human judgment. It's not replacing um, relationship building. Uh, but it's helping us make decisions faster, uh, focus on the right things, um, and really be able to just, again, focus on those activities that really are going to build long-term loyalty and an outsized impact on revenue generation. So for beginning baby steps, every agency in America needs to make sure that they're getting really good data put into their agency management system, even if they don't know what to do with it today. 
Absolutely. I, and, you know, and it, as bad as the data is on the agency side, it's a little bit worse on the carrier side because we rely on agents to put it all in our system. So it wasn't a few years ago when we went out to look at like what percentage of customers do we have email addresses for? Right. Um, we probably had, you know, 40% of customers without email. Wow. Um, and when you think about how communications are evolving, we're almost past email, truthfully, um, where customers now are demanding, you know, SMS communications and otherwise. Uh, but it is something where, and this is on the carrier side and the agency side, the more that we can do to get good information about customers, the better off we are in terms of our ability to one, you know, take care of their needs more holistically, but two, look for additional revenue opportunities. So data becomes a really important, you know, battleground for us. And, and I speak just for the channel, um, direct writers, Today, um, many of them are very sophisticated from an analytics standpoint. They've got a ton of customer data. And so for the independent agency channel to continue to compete and really, you know, um, be able to live the, the competitive advantage I mentioned, we have to be at the same, you know, playing field. Uh, and we have the advantage of, you know, we're, we're partners. So we can share data. We can make, you know, connectivity easier between our data and the customer interactions. That's an advantage, but we have to focus on, getting good data in the, in the front door to, to take advantage of that. Well, you know, this whole data thing, and it, which implies systems, and, and then you talk about investment that, that agents need to make. I mean, the same sets of issues apply on the carrier side of the channel yeah. as well, right? So, so today we have roughly 900 um, carriers in, in the channel if you take out the ENS uh, markets. Um, and there are clearly eight, uh, agency companies that are spending or investing huge sums of money for speed of, uh, you know, speed to market, ease of use, um, uh, great claims service. Uh, one of the things that uh, some of these companies, and I think Safeco and, and Liberty uh, are at the forefront of this, uh, understand is that we're all competing uh, with Amazon uh, and other companies like that from the standpoint of what what consumers expect. I mean, they're judging us not against each other, not against not against yeah. ourselves, but against other industries that are doing a much better job than probably we are. So all of that really implies that some companies are going to be left behind in that race uh, as we go forward into the next five years. Um, you know, how, how do you see in, in, in something like uh, 10% of the insurance companies in America have 90% of the business already? So I mean, or some number like that. It's the 80-20 rule on steroids. Right. What happens, in your view, um, to the insurance carrier ranks? How does it shrink or realign itself? What is that all going to look like? And then what are the uh, implications of that for insurance agents in terms of how they look forward to building their business? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great question. And it's, it's a trend that's been, you know, happening probably a little bit more on the personal line side you know, over the last five, 10 years, and, and it's coming in small commercial as well, but it's fragmented. And you mentioned the number of carriers, you know, personal lines, you know, estimated market size is, you know, 90 billion uh, for the IA channel, but it's spread over 350 carriers. Um, the, mass, the vast majority of which have 100 million or a uh, premium or less. Um, and so that really does put them in a position where spending on technology, um, spending on, you know, new product solutions, innovation really does start to be cost prohibitive um, and doesn't allow them to put the most competitive prices in market. Um, so we do think that, you know, large national carriers do have a scale advantage. 
Now, the trick is finding a balance. And so, you know, one of our values is we're local and national. Um, and so we have the scale, the capabilities, the wherewithal to invest of a national organization, but we also execute locally through our local uh, distribution teams, local underwriting, local product. Um, and the balance of the two is, is, is critical. So um, we do see continued separation, uh, likely uh, consolidation. And, you know, for, for Safeco, we've been very focused on making sure that we offer agents a solution for when that situation is warranted. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've actually just hit a milestone last week where we have now, um, you know, booked over a billion dollars in a book consolidation premium uh, by helping all of our partners really take a look at their strategic, you know, carriers and say, do we have an opportunity to consolidate, uh, to simplify, to maximize revenue by focusing on, you know, strategic and core carriers? Uh, and we continue to see that hypothesis play out um, all over the personal line space. Um, what's, uh, what's interesting is business lines is even more fragmented. Mm -hmm. It's a $110 billion market. Everybody's like kind of clustered in similar market share. So there's no major breakout. So we think business lines a little bit earlier stage, but there too, scale is going to continue to matter. Um, and what does it mean for agents? So that part of your question, I'd say, you know, I mentioned one of the advantages, uh, is choice. And so the ability to offer customers a set of, of products, uh, the average independent agent on the personal line side has 10 to 12 carriers. Um, some have as many as, as 15. And if you're an acquirer um, and you've bought in a bunch of agencies over time, you might find yourself with like all 350. Um, and so it's, it's really a question of, you know, what's most efficient for the agency having that number of carriers uh, to keep, you know, keep up to date on what products they're selling, having their territory managers or marketing reps wanting to come into the office, um, having to deal with systems, or maybe you don't write this line of business every day. There's a pretty steep learning curve there for agency producers, personnel, um, service staff. Um, and so looking at your carrier set strategically to say, hey, you know, choice doesn't mean I have to offer 12. Choice could be that I've got, you know, four or five go-to and I've got specialty providers needed to fill out some shelf space where maybe the core carriers don't provide. Um, we advise agents to really take a hard look at that and make sure you're partnering with organizations that have the same mindset, um, are looking at investing the same way that you are for, for future success, and really a partner that you can continue to build your, your long-term business around. So the book consolidation space, very active for us in personal lines, uh, small commercial, uh, we, we see that as a significant opportunity in the next three to five years as well. Yeah, you know, my, my own opinion is if you're under a couple million dollars of revenue and you have 12 personal lines carriers, I mean, you're not managing the business very well. I mean, that's crazy. You can't possibly maximize the opportunity with 12 carriers, uh, you know, in most small to medium-sized insurance agencies. So, uh, you know, from a business perspective, that I, I agree that that's got to, you know, that's got to consolidate. And it's probably likely that of the 12, uh, some of those aren't going to survive anyway. They're going to be, you know, consumed or absumed into another another carrier. Um, you know, so uh, thinking about all of that and, and thinking about, um, you know, one of the, the relationship keys um, between the agent and the carrier has always been really understanding what each partner needs to, for it to be a successful relationship. And, and uh, typically and traditionally, um, you know, insurance companies have needed 
agents to produce a uh, enough business with them to make the relationship, you know, profitable from a service perspective. Um, and then you want good loss ratios. Um, and you want to have a reasonable opportunity to continue organic growth inside that agency. So I, I would say that from my perspective, anyway, those seem to be the three things that curious have asked over time. But uh, insurance companies have a real cost issue to deal with because all this technology that they're having to invest in is very expensive. Um, and uh, there's the traditional loss ratio issues and, and a host of other things uh, driving uh, driving expense factors in insurance uh, companies. Uh, certainly, uh, the captive insurance companies have an even bigger cost problem because their their distribution expenses are higher. So, um, how does the way in which carriers, generally speaking, evaluate uh, their satisfaction with with their distribution force? Is that going to change over the next five years? Uh, does it stay the same? You know, what, what's the nuance there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, today we're looking at partners that are, you know, one, willing to continue to engage and partner with us, uh, two, are, are really investing in future growth and are like-minded in that, um, and then three, obviously, we, we want to be able to collectively um, make money. So I'd say those kind of core tenants will, will likely, you know, remain, and there's, there's a lot of agents we don't do business with for that reason, like we're just not aligned on those interests, um, either you know, agents that are more focused on the lower end of the market where profitability is, is harder over time, or perhaps um, they're unwilling to, you know, really strategically partner in a way that's going to drive mutual success over time. So I think those three things to me are core. But I do think going forward too, like there's probably for us uh, more attention on are we seeing partners take the steps they need to, to be successful over time? So, um, you know, we provide a lot of tools to help agents assess where they are digitally including the ability to, you know, we proactively uh, via our, our search score, uh, we have a social score tool. We actually rank agents' websites. We'll give them a grade. Um, how effective is the website? Is it mobile optimized? Does it show up in SEO? Um, and we provide that free uh, to any agency. Um, but we're also getting to the point where could you run that, you know, in advance? Could you constantly monitor you know, how agents are showing up digitally, how they're engaging, how they're showing up in social, are they responding to ratings and reviews? Are they leveraging our digital tools? Um, and so, you know, just on that, Tony, I'd say three years ago, we really embarked on trying to drive digital in a big way. Um, and it came from the realization that only one in four new business customers were being set up to take advantage of all the digital capabilities that we invest in. Only 25%. And Enforce was probably like 17 to 18%. And so that's been a huge focus for us. And we're happy to report, you know, we've driven that adoption much higher. You know, 65% now of new customers are set up and over 50% of Enforce. But when we think about that relative to direct writers, it's still substantially less. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us going forward, we really are paying more attention to, to those things too. Our agents showing a willingness to evolve and adapt in the spirit of our, our partnership together. So a little bit of a, of a softer element, but it's really just trying to get a sense for, you know, how aligned are we on moving towards the future? And, and are we, you know, in a position where we're driving in, in the same direction and, and kind of rowing together? Well, an, an executive with another carrier that I spoke with recently was fairly direct in saying that, you know, from their perspective, 
the way in which agents used the tools that they were providing, so uh, submission tools and marketing tools and things like that, were becoming an increasingly important part of how they evaluated their relationship with the agency because those tools allow them to to write and service business for less money. And so if if the agent wasn't going to take advantage of the tools, the agency was literally driving their cost up. And so uh, that was impacting profitability of the relationship and causing them to say, in some cases, you know, this is somebody that, you know, if if you're not going to learn the new ways of doing business with us, we aren't going to continue to do business with you. And um, that was interesting because, you know, I think that's an area where agents really haven't thought about the relationship historically with, with their carriers in terms of, you know, they think about, okay, we've got to do a good job of yeah. making money on, on the, on the uh, premium relationship with the loss ratio, but actually the cost of doing business with us and the carrier hasn't been something that agents have thought about. But from this executive's perspective, it was something that, that agents were going to really need to deal with over the next three to five years if they wanted to be successful. Yeah, it's, and it's, um, it's symbiotic, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, for our standpoint, being more efficient doesn't necessarily mean more profit to us. You know, we actually price our products to a target combined ratio and, and we're generally there. So what generally being more efficient means is we can take less rate. We can make our products more competitive. Um, and that's, uh, that's to the benefit of, of all agents as well. And so our ability to continue to put prices in market that compete with anybody, uh, whether in the channel or direct riders, is, is critically important. So a lot of times it just comes down to you maybe don't connect those dots as, as directly as, as we could, but like being efficient in terms of how we work together actually enables us to be more competitive collectively. Um, and there's some huge uh, potential advantage there. Yeah, I think every company will take a different approach. You know, is it is it heavy handed where you're looking at agency management? Like, should we part ways? Or is it more like we're trying to drive a little bit of the why digital is so important? We're kind of on that front end where we're trying to just really talk about the importance of it and get the agents kind of bought in. And and uh, But it is going to be important for, for all of us, you know, as, as we head. So I was on... Uh on a call recently with one of your colleagues, one of your regional executives. And, you know, the question was raised and it was an agent uh, group. Um, her, her comment was that you, you were seeing inside your company, a lot of agencies that were really uh, doing well with new business production in 2020 uh, and that the COVID environment seemed to be really spurring that on. Okay. And, and, and I thought that was interesting because my contention was, you know what, we've got a, an economic recession and a whole bunch of yeah. fear out there. There's got to be a lot of business on the streets. Okay. It would, and I love hard markets for the same reason, because there's a lot of business on the streets. It's an opportunity to really grow if, you, if you're, if you're ready for that. And then her comment was, you know, that was about half of the agency force that she was saying. The other half of the agency force was really um, seemed to be in a bunker mentality, not doing well. Uh, retention wasn't great, you know? And so it, it was the tale of two mindsets. Uh, and, and maybe that explains it, but I am curious. I mean, that's what you're still seeing, I'm assuming. What do you see as the hallmarks of those agencies that are, um, that are really doing well in this environment? What, what, how are they different than other agents? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been very interesting to watch. Like, and for us, it's personal lines and commercial lines are two different places. So personal lines, 
you know, we had a couple weeks slow down as people really got used to working from home. And then it was right back to the races. And, and we've been growing substantially this year. Um, and so so it's been almost like we didn't skip a beat. Business lines, obviously, much more impacted by business closures, by potential recession, et cetera. So a little bit of a different story. But I'd say even within personal lines, if you look at the agents that continued to grow and you go talk to them, you know, it was it was more the mentality like, hey, everyone's home. Uh, they're going to take my phone call. They're going to get back to me more quickly. This is an opportunity for us. Uh, and they found success as we've kind of peeled back the onion, like what's really underneath that. Um, sometimes it comes down to diversity of lead sources. So if you if you look and you talk to different agents, this is actually one of the data things, you know, that, that's so important is does an agency really understand where their business is coming from? Um, and we do a lot in our producer development program, et cetera. And the first thing we do is track where your businesses come in from. Um, and because a lot of times, you know, agents don't really know or they might say, hey, I, you know, 95 percent of my business is referral. Um, and then you start peeling back the onion and it's like, OK, no, you've got a good chunk is referral. But you also have some centers of influence, whether that's, you know, mortgage brokers or, or dealerships or real estate agents. Um, or pro other professional services referrals. Uh, and you start really understanding where the leads come from. The agents that have shown the most resilience um, have pretty good diversity in their lead sources. So if there was a particularly hard hit segment, um, they've got other leads that are continuing to, to flow in. Um, so to me, that's been like the biggest difference. If someone was purely, um, I'm going to rely 100% on referrals and, hey, everyone's busy right now. They're, they're trying to figure out if their family's safe, if their kids are learning. You know, I'm just not getting as much referral business in as I used to. Um, and so my advice on that would be just really understand where your leads come from. Do you have a good, you know, diversity in the lead source? You know, business lines has been tougher. And that one, it, you know, we have seen business closures, et cetera. Uh, but even still there, we're, we're seeing some optimism. So after two or three months, we're seeing submissions come back in. So we're seeing agents out finding, you know, opportunities and lead sources. And so the recovery has been a little bit slower, uh, but really it's ramping back up. But I think I'd say the same thing there. You know, if, if agents were waiting on, you know, a referral or, or the phone to ring versus really being proactive, um, that's huge. That's a huge difference. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful. And I, I think those hallmarks, diversification, uh, being aggressive marketing, uh, you know, or an aggressive marketer, those are things that are fundamental, but they're also really important to the next five years. So if there's an agent watching us today and they're going, you know what, this has been a break even year for me. Uh, what they're missing is probably those two things. And then you add to that the need for uh, investment in the business, uh, adding more talent to your organization, having a mindset of growth. And you've got the whole package right there about how to be successful in the coming five years. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, any, any, um, any other thoughts, any questions I haven't asked you um, that, that you think about as you, as you think about that three to five year future in front of us that are, that's important that we ought to touch on? Um, no, I, I'd maybe just, um, you know, comment generally by saying, you know, we've, we've been fortunate now to partner with agents for 
well, since 1923. So we're coming up on 100 years. Um, and so we've, we've seen a lot and we've seen various, you know, evolutions of the channel. And, and I just want to kind of, you know, maybe close on a tone of optimism that one of the hallmarks of our success as a channel has been our ability to evolve, our ability to adapt, our ability to really meet customers where they are. And we've, we've had numbers of, of pivots over that 100 years. Uh, and we have um, a lot of confidence in the channel today to do that again here. And the pivots are a little bit different. You know, it's digital enablement, it's bringing in new talent, it's focusing on DNI, it's focusing on culture. Um, but it's something that we've seen agents respond to time and, and time again. Um, and this year for us, you know, given the impressive year we've had with, you know, COVID and it's been an active catastrophe season two, it really has put to, to test what we do as, as a channel. Um, and, and by all objective measures, agents across the country have, have really risen to meet that. Um, and the resilience shown is something that's truly inspiring for us and makes us proud to do what we do. Um, and so, yes, there's work for us to do. Yes, there's a lot we need to invest in to prepare for the next three, five, 10 years. Uh, but we couldn't be more excited about the future of, of the channel uh, and our ability together to continue to win. You know, I, I love the optimism. I feel the same way. And I'm looking forward, uh, not just to the next 10 years, but really the next 25 years to see where we all end up, because I think it's going to be in a much bigger and better place. So, uh, Tyler, thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I look forward to seeing you uh, soon and hopefully won't be just on Zoom. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Appreciate you having me. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description and we'll make that happen. You can also reach out to me at tonycaldwell.net slash contact.